For those new, my name is James, and it's a joy to be with you. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, so glad you could join us. See a smaller crowd this morning as most are coming next week in the next service for the meal. Please, 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 if you're here, come back after next service. We would love to hang out with you. If I've not had a chance to meet you, I would love to hang out with you, get to know you as well. Please, please, please come back for that meal. It'll be an awesome time to get together again. All right. We are in a message series titled BLESS, or B-L-E-S-S, an acronym. An acronym for the books are available. We got a bunch more out in the lobby if you want to check it out. It comes out of that book by David Ferguson. Um, and uh, two weeks ago, we started with a title called Bless of B of Begin with Prayer. Last week, we had uh, my buddy, Pastor Aaron, sharing on how he engages with his neighbors and in, in trying to live in love like Jesus among his neighbors. Uh, and he shared kind of the heart behind why he does that and how he does that. He's an incredible thing just a few blocks from here where he every single week gathers, what is it, 15 to 30 neighbors that come to his house for a meal every single Tuesday night. And I love the way he's living that out. And I loved how he, he shared his heart for that last week. And today we're on L, which is stands for listen. And today we'll be looking at listening. So how good are we at listening as people? Um, take for a second, on a scale of one to 10, where would you rate yourself? Don't say it out loud. It might be embarrassing. Where would you rate yourself on a scale of one to 10 on how good of a listener are you of others? Think about that for a second. A one, a five, a 10. How good are you? Right now, now, some more questions to kind of drill down on that a bit. So on a scale of one to 10, of one being never, not at all true, 10 being true of me all the time, how would you rate yourself on these questions regarding the listening? One, I wait for people to finish their full thought without interrupting. One to 10. Right? I'm sure all of us are tense. Um, two, I avoid getting frustrated or agitated when people say things I deeply disagree with. How are we doing? One to 10. Next, I stay away from my phone and other distractions while listening to others. Or earbuds in my ear. Or I avoid preparing my response or rebuttal while others talk and give them my full attention. How are we doing? All right. There was a recent article that came out uh, in 2021 in Psychology Today, and it was titled this. It was, We're Worse at Listening Than We Realize. Now, in that article, it reported that 96% of people responded saying they were great listeners. And that was amongst thousands of people. 96% of people think that they are good listeners, above average. Now, let's just be honest. Do you believe 96% of the people you talk to are great listeners? Right? I'm guessing you don't. And so if you just rated yourself like high on a lot of those things, you might be as self-deceived as the rest of the people that took that survey. Um, so, so why does this matter? Why are we talking about this in church? Well, because as we've been talking about, our central calling is to love God and love our neighbors, right? To love one another. We're called to live in love like Jesus. That's what this whole series is about, is blessed. Of being, we are blessed to be a blessing. And that means we must bless our neighbors and love the people around us. We are called to love our neighbors. And one of the primary ways that we love is through listening. Dallas Willard puts it this way in The Spirit of the Disciplines. He says, in our culture... Listening is often interpreted as love. The first act of love is always the giving of attention. I love that. You consider that. that list, we've talked so much about loving our neighbors, and so often in our head we're thinking, okay, how can I serve? How can I do this thing? Was really one of the most foundational ways we love is the giving of attention, is listening to one another. The well-known author and psychologist, Dr. David Augsburg, in his book, um, is it caring enough to hear and be heard? He puts it this way. He says, being heard is so close to being loved 
that for the average person, they are almost indistinguishable. Have you considered that? Almost indistinguishable, the difference between being heard and being loved. So if that's true, and all the evidence would point to that being the case, if we want to actually love our neighbors in ways that they genuinely experience, we must grow deeply in our ability to listen. We must not just hear words, we must actually grow in, be, in hearing, begin, or sorry, beginning to listen or listening better. I'm convinced that there are few skills more important to the life of a Christian than that of growing and their capacity to listen well to others and ask good questions as a result. I don't know of any skill that will allow us to connect on more deeper levels with people than the skill of listening well and asking good questions. Yet most of the people outside the church walls would probably say that Christians are not the best listeners. It's not necessarily what people think of as the first thing when they think of Christians, of those who are not followers of Christ. In fact, it's often the opposite. But if listening is so important, and it's so beautiful, it's something that we need to take some time learning about and growing in of how to listen well. And so as we're talking about the importance of listening, I'm now going to give about a 30-minute monologue on the importance of listening, because that seems appropriate, right? Um, we keep talking about this, about living and loving like Jesus, and therefore we need to become more and more like Jesus. And that means we need to grow in becoming really good listeners like Jesus was. And really good at asking questions. So what did Jesus spend most of his time doing when he was here on earth? Was it preaching? Was it healing? Was it doing miracles? No, as we've talked about before, what Jesus spent most of his time doing while on earth was spend it with people. And not teaching or preaching, but actually listening and asking questions of people. In the Gospels, Jesus asks over 300 questions in the Gospels, and he answers only eight. Right? He's, he asks a lot of questions. A lot of questions he spends time with just listening again and again and again. And we often, he asks questions and listens even when he didn't need to because he already knew the answer to the question, yet he still asks it. And there's a reason that people are drawn to Jesus. Even when he isn't performing miracles, they are drawn to him. Why? Because they knew that he saw them. They knew that he cared about them. The people that were most drawn to Jesus, amazingly, were those who were most far away from the kingdom. The worst sinners of all were those who were most drawn to him of all the people. One of my favorite stories in the Gospels is one that I often share here. and um, It comes out of multiple Gospels, but I love the example in Matthew chapter 9 and Matthew records it this way. It says in chapter 9, verse 10, While Jesus was reclining at the table in Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came to eat with Jesus and his disciples. Again, this is one of my favorite pictures of Jesus reclining at this table with all these sinners and tax collectors who love hanging out with him. It's such a bizarre picture, if you think about it, of Jesus, the Savior of the world, reclining at a table while listening to prostitutes and tax collectors, the worst of the worst of the worst. The tax collectors, again, were the most despised of society. There's, I don't think there's a group of people alive today that we could compare it to of how much the Jews would have hated the tax collectors in their midst that betrayed them and were exploiting them and were right in their midst. They were exploiting the poor, exploiting all these people. And here Jesus is hanging out with the most immoral, broken, hated, despised people in society, and he's just chilling with with them, eating their stolen food, eating their, drinking their stolen wine, and he's sitting there enjoying time with them. What is he doing? He's listening to the stories. He's curious. He's giving them their full attention. And as a result, they're drawn to him. No miracles are performed that night that we're aware of. No sermon is given. He's just listening and asking questions. 
In fact, there's no sermon until the religious people show up, right? And then he gives them a brief sermon and tells them that he didn't come for the, for, for the righteous, but he came for the sinners. And the people are drawn to him without the miracles because they know that Jesus cares about them. Jesus met people where they're at. He listened to them and he heard their story. There's another beautiful story in Luke chapter 18. Jesus is on his way to Jericho, and he's just passing through. He's not giving a sermon. He's not doing a healing crusade, right? He's not doing any of that stuff. He's just passing through, and he's traveling with a crowd of his disciples. Remember, there's the 12, but he also had the hundreds beyond that. So this is the broader crowd of likely hundreds or maybe 100 people or so that are traveling with Jesus. And these were people that were followers of him. They were called his disciples, and they were traveling with him. And on the road, Luke tells us this in chapter 18, verse 35. It says, as Jesus approached Jericho, a blind beggar was sitting by the, bro- by the road. When he heard the noise of a crowd going past, he asked what was happening. They told him that Jesus the Nazarene was going by. So he began shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. Be quiet, the people in front yelled at him. Now that's Jesus' disciples. Be quiet, shut up, they're telling this blind guy that's desperate for Jesus. But he shouted only louder, son of David, have mercy upon me. Now notice amidst all the noise, no one is listening to this man. None of Jesus' followers are listening to him. He is just noise to them. So he shouts even louder. And the followers of Jesus, their response when they finally hear him is to try to silence him. And the crazy thing is, again, this group of disciples, these are the followers of Jesus, and they act and respond nothing like him. They ignore the cries and the hurt and the pain of this man who feels unseen in a crowd. He must have felt unseen and hurting in a crowd. In this case, it's the followers of Jesus who ignore him. They saw this man's pain as just that noise. Then the next verse, verse 40, it says, When Jesus heard him, I love that, when Jesus heard him, he stopped in order that the man be brought to him. As the man came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, he said, I want to see. And Jesus said, all right, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Instantly the man could see, and he followed Jesus, praising God, and all who saw it praised God too. A couple things here stand out to me. First, in the midst of the travel and the crowds, Jesus is listening for the voices around him. In the midst of the chaos of hundreds of people vying for his attention, he's listening. His heart is open to the words of the Holy Spirit. We talked a couple weeks about prayer, that as we pray, we are in tune more and more with the Holy Spirit and His leadings and His proddings for us. And Jesus is completely in tune with the Father as He's listening in the midst of the crowd. But second, when confronted with the blind man standing in front of Him, saying, Lord, have mercy. It's pretty obvious what this guy wants. And what is Jesus' response when a blind man comes before Him saying, Lord, have mercy upon me? What does Jesus do? Does He immediately reach out and say, your faith has made you well? No. He asks Him a question with no assumption and says, what is it that you would like? Everyone walking, looking around saying, duh, the guy's blind. Clearly that's what it is. But Jesus looks at this person, sees him, hears him, and asks him and engages with him, even when it is obvious what the situation is. He sees this person and engages with him. As this blind man stands before Jesus, even though he could not see, I'm guessing he felt more seen in that moment than any point in his life. Because Jesus saw him. Jesus heard him. Jesus engaged him and asked him questions in the midst of his pain, in the midst of the chaos in the crowd. In a society that had no value for the blind or the poor, Jesus saw him, engaged him, listened to him, and then healed him. 
And so often today, our world is filled with so much noise, and there's so many people that are hurting so much. In this age of polarization and and social media, our society has never been worse at listening and asking questions of people just want to be seen and heard. Like the blind beggar, people are desperate to be listened to today, including many of us. I, I had this weird experience this past week. So a couple weeks ago, my wife moved or, or went to Indiana with our kids, and I moved in with my mom, as I've shared a bit about, uh, to help her deal with all my dad's estate who passed away a few months ago, for those that are new. And um, incredibly difficult time, but my dad has, we, we literally sold thousands of items at a giant garage sale. My dad, three sheds at a giant garage filled with every tool imaginable, and all the more expensive items I've had to post on Facebook individually because they were all worth money. And I, I hate text messaging. I, I don't like social media. It's wonderful, but I just, I try to invest my limited time and energy into physical proximity relationships. Social media is great for many people not try to bash it. Just personally, I, I'm not a big fan of, of social media and, and texting and all the rest. And anyways, I was forced to send hundreds of text messages this past two weeks um, to all sorts of strangers. I mean, just all day long sending text messages trying to deal with stuff. And Facebook Marketplace isn't the best place to in- encounter humanity. Um, but uh, it's where I spent a lot of my time the last two weeks. And so anyways, as I'm doing this, and as you post items that are worth $1,000, people off, I'll give you five bucks for it kind of stuff, right? Or usually they'll give you $100, 10 cents on, on the dollar. And, and so often when people would do that, I mean, I kind of felt like every time there's this ridiculous lowball offer, I should just respond and just say, hey, thank you for the offer. Uh, we're going to hold out a little bit longer. And I just tried to assume maybe they'll come up. And, and I'm not used to, I'm not as callous maybe as some people are with that because I don't do it very often. And Anyways, this weirdest thing happened this past week. As I began to respond to people, and just, I thought, just basic kindness of just saying, hey, thanks for your, not saying your insane offer, but thank you for your offer, and I'll do more. People began to respond. I, had, I literally had six or seven people respond to me this past week saying, wow, thank you for your kindness in responding to my offer. I'm like, That's weird. And then I would just say, sure, I'm glad to hear it. Just appreciate you making an offer. Like, no one's ever kind on this thing. And I'm like, okay, I'm sorry. And I can, no joke, I had multiple people then ask me to tell me more about myself, right? Like to introduce me to them. I had all these random strangers trying to become friends with me. Who is this weirdo that's actually kind in social media, right? And in the midst of that, I'm like, this is so weird. I don't have time for this. I don't want to do this, but I'm supposed to love Jesus and love others. At the same time, I get this text out of the blue a few days ago. And it says, actually, I wrote it down here. What does it say? It said, literally, um, so hello, I ordered the cake in your store. Please deliver to the Waldorf Beverly Hills at 5 p.m. I'm like, okay, random. Had the wrong area code, 424 and the 425. And so I just responded back, just, hey, I'm sorry, I think you have the wrong number. They responded aggressively back saying, no, I don't. This is the number you gave me. Uh, please deliver it. I'm just like, uh, um, I'm sorry. I, I, I don't live in Beverly Hills. I'm not a baker. Uh, I live in Seattle. And they wrote back literally angry, like, why are you saying that? Like this other stuff. They were convinced that I truly am this person. And so I just, I just gently just said back, I'm sorry. I live in Seattle. And no joke, long story short, they then, after a few more angry texts, then started apologizing as they backed up and saw that it was the wrong area code. And they began to engage with me. And then they, this long message is like, thank you for your kindness. People are so mean today. I've never had someone be so nice to me when I've made a mistake, even after they just been a total jerk to me. And so I, I just said, obviously, I can understand why. And uh, I didn't say that. But <laughs> after they responded, I, I literally just like, hey, no problem. Glad it's worked out. They then wrote back. They said, like they said, so have you always lived in Seattle? And I'm like, I really don't want to do this. Um, but I tried to be kind. Like, have you ever been to L.A.? And I'm like, oh, oh Lord, um, I don't like this. And so I, I wrote back, you know, it's been a while. They're like, would you like to come visit? I'd love to hang out. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, 
I'll be honest, now, I don't know what y'all are doing on social media because it's not my preferred place to hang out, but this was a really weird experience for me this past week because what I recognized is people are desperate. They are desperate for humanity and a place of connection. And I'm like, I mean, I could do a full-time ministry of texting random strangers on Facebook, but I don't feel that's my calling in this season. Um, But oh my goodness, what an incredible place of, of awareness of where people are at. People are desperate for connection. They are desperate for someone to listen to them. And as I was, we kind of just thinking about this past week, it was a couple nights, I thought, you know, that's what I'm preaching on this week, actually. Uh, I could share that. But the, if listening is the same thing as loving in this culture, as Christians, this should be like our greatest superpower, is that we can listen. Because what does it take to listen? You just have to care to not be a jerk. Yet for some reason, Christians have gained a reputation of not being great listeners. But it's like the easiest, lowest hanging fruit to possibly love. You don't even have to do that much. You just simply listen. You've got to just care about the other person and stop caring so much about your own world in that moment and put your attention on somebody else. And it blows people's minds because they're not used to it this day and age where things have gotten so polarized. Literally anyone can be a great listener. Well, I'm not a good listener. Well, you can starting this second. Just shut up. <laughs> That's all it takes. That's like, like it's, it's, it's the miraculous change, and now you're a great listener. And just ask some questions. That's why you'll talk later. You got a piece of paper on your sheet. Like, you don't have to say, well, I'm not, it's not my gifting. Well, it can be starting now. You don't like have to grow and train in it. Just shut up and ask a question of how are you? But one of the biggest hindrances to this is so often in conversations, we don't listen to actually understand people and understand their thoughts and their feelings, but instead we listen in order to determine if we agree with them or disagree and to figure out what we want to say in response. Especially when we speak with people we maybe we disagree with or we're talking about a controversial issue like worldview or politics or gender or social issues or something else. I love how the author of this blessed book, he puts it in this chapter on listen. He says, the opposite of listening is not speaking, which is what we would think. He says, it's waiting to speak. I love that because listening is very different than hearing. Hearing is just listening to the noises, right? Those, you're perceiving any noises that are there, whereas listening is actually seeking to genuinely understand the heart of where someone's coming from. We, we hear things all the time, but that doesn't mean we're actually listening to any of it. And so just as a, as a brief practice of that, what I want us to do is for 20 seconds, just we're going to sit in silence and listen to the noises around us. It'll be a little weird, but for 20 seconds, just listen to the noises around us. So start it, go, just listen. Okay, so what did you hear in that time? You probably, in that part, you, you started to hear a fan noise in the lights. You heard someone click a pen. You heard other kind of creaking of things, maybe the breathing of people around you. You began to hear things. What's interesting is, as we all know, those sounds have been there this entire time. But we weren't listening, right? They were just noise in the background. And that's exactly what happens each and every moment of the day when we're with other people is that all these noises are happening, all these things are going on, but when we're not keyed in and listening to one another, it's just that, it's noise. It's, that, it's the, the blind man speaking into a crowd without people hearing him. 
when we're not actually paying attention to listening to one another. We can hear so many words, but we don't actually understand. And that pretty much sums up what most communication seems to be like these days in the social media and polarization era, where we just assume what the other person's trying to say before they even finish their sentence. And we often listen primarily just to decide if we agree with someone. And, and then if not, we maybe tune out or we begin placing them in these small boxes and assume all the other stuff that they believe in. Or, or maybe we're just impatient. And I was looking up this week. The average person speaks 135 to 175 words a minute. I'm probably on the higher end of that. Um, but the average person, the average person can listen to 400 to 500 words a minute. The average person. So what happens when someone's talking at 150 words a minute and you're listening at 500, what do you do with all that extra time? That's where we fill that time between the slower talking speed and the faster understanding speed. And that mid time is where we start formulating our own responses or we start daydreaming and thinking about other stuff. And some people, maybe it's not even that, we're just impatient or we're unaware and so we interrupt because what we think we have to say is so much more important. Let me just spend any time with my children. And you will get interrupted over and over again with very, very important facts about nature and random things that were so important as me and my wife are like in tears having this serious conversation and the children just interrupt and go pulling and pulling and pulling and pulling and saying, I have to tell you something. What is it? Why is the moon called the moon? Right? Like, what? I don't understand why that was necessary at this moment. But if listening is interpreted as loving someone, interrupting someone or not listening is not loving them. And one of the most common ways this is done today is in our desire to relate to others. And oftentimes we, we like one up as we try to relate and share our own story on top of their story and what they've shared. It's something that happens so common. And oftentimes it's done of desire to relate that we, we want to share a story to relate to them. But so often we just, it ends up becoming like a one up game with people. We try to outdo the stories of one another. And among friends, it be done very mutually and very beautifully. Even this morning, I've had multiple people as I've had a, a really, really rough week this past week. I mean, yet, Friday was one of the worst days of my life of emotions and brokenness and pain with the loss of my father. And, and I've had a lot of people come and share with me, and it's been beautiful in that place of mutual sharing. But how many times are you in a situation where you share something and someone says, that's cool, and they like totally outdo you with their story and that doesn't make you feel seen or heard or understood and said it makes you feel minimized. And that's what happens more often, it seems. Where they say, yeah, that happened to me as well. Or maybe someone's struggling with depression or loneliness. And, and maybe they're single and, they, and they, they haven't been able to find a, find a spouse yet. And I've heard people you know, respond to that place. Well, I was single too for until I was 35 years old. And then finally the Lord provided someone. So you'll be okay. Don't you worry about it. Pat on the back. And in that moment, does that person feel seen and heard and understood? No. Not in any way. They now know that it's about you, not about them. That you, you're uncomfortable with that they shared. And so you've shared something to try and make it back about you. Or maybe it's someone sharing about how they recently got into a car accident and, and they're traumatized by this minor fender bender and, and, and someone responds by saying, hey, that's not a big deal. 20 years ago, I got into this huge accident. My car turned into an accordion and, and I hit this Porsche and all this other stuff happened and there was tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars of damage and all this stuff happened and, and it's okay, so you'll be okay too. Does that person feel deeply seen and heard and listened to? And that last example is one where I literally did that to someone a couple months ago here. Right? So that was in my head of like, wow, afterwards, I just felt so stupid. I'm like, I literally just demolished that person. I didn't listen to their story. I made them listen to my stupid story. Often we think of listening and relating, but we're really just talking over and minimizing. Right? Where they usually often, people often don't feel understood or seen, but feeling that they shouldn't feel the way they feel. 
And they often leave feeling unheard and unseen in those moments. We must grow in listening like Jesus and listening to one another. Can you imagine if Jesus responded to everything and says, well, I got a story for you. <laughs> like, <laughs> but that's how ridiculous it is sometimes. Some of my favorite passages on this are out of the book of Proverbs. Um, but first one I want to hit with James chapter 119, probably the most famous verse on listening. It says, my dear friends, you should be quick to listen and slow to speak or slow to get angry. Think for a bit. Are, are we quick to listen or are we quick to speak? Especially when someone's saying something we disagree with or that makes us angry. Are we quick to get angry or quick to listen? And now a couple from Proverbs 18. I'm using the, the contemporary English version because it's like made at like a fourth grade level, so it just gives really practical ways of saying it. I like this. So 18.2. Fools have no desire to learn. They would much rather just give their own opinion. By this definition, how many of us are fools? How much of our engagement with those who see the world differently, think differently, believe differently, sin differently, how much of our engagement are we just fools? by that definition of Scripture. Are we more interested in giving our own opinion, or are we seeking to listen and learn and love? Okay, this next one hits hard. Chapter 18, verse 13. It's stupid and embarrassing to give an answer before you listen. But isn't that basically described most of communication today? People just talking at each other? The Bible says that's stupid and embarrassing. Literally, the translation is shameful and foolish. That one hits home. Or one of my favorites, a couple of verses later, in verse 15, says, Everyone with good sense wants to, wants to learn. Literally, the discerning and the wise seek knowledge. That's what listening is intended to be. And it's why I titled this message, Listening with Curiosity and Care. Because so much often, or so often when we are... We are not listening to learn. We're listening to prove our point or to make our own statement or maybe just faking it for them to feel like it, but we aren't curious enough. As followers of Jesus, we must remain curious in humility, recognizing that there is so much that we don't understand. And curiosity involves trying to see the world through the eyes of somebody else. And it seems in recent years, many followers of Jesus are far more interested in certainty rather than curiosity of being proved right and proving our point and my opinion being correct than seeking to understand and learn from others who see the world differently than us. And the problem is, if we are truly called to reach those who don't know Jesus, most of those people have a radically different worldview than us. And the only way to connect with them is to listen, to be curious, and to love them by showing that we care. And the reason I love the word curious so much is the Latin word that we get curious from is the word cura, and it literally means to care, to tend to, or to heal. That's what curiosity should be. Are we curious as we approach people that we don't know? Are we curious when we're having a discussion with a neighbor or a coworker, or an adult child or someone else who has a radically different belief system than we do, a worldview that maybe we even find completely abhorrent and against the kingdom of God? Are we curious in how we seek to listen and learn? And to be good listeners means we have to ask some really good questions. There's a great clip on curiosity I love. And if you're watching online, it's gonna go, the screen's going to go black because Facebook will um, you know, shut down our feed. If not, they'll put the link up there. But... Just a one-minute clip we're going to show here. Mm. 
Mate, what do I need to win? Two triple twenties and a bullseye. <laughs> Good luck. You know, Rupert, guys have underestimated me my entire life. And for years, I never understood why. It used to really bother me. But then one day, I was driving my little boy to school, and I saw this quote by Walt Whitman. It was painted on the wall there. It said, be curious, not judgmental. I like that. So I get back in my car, and I'm driving to work. And all of a sudden, it hits me. All them fellas that used to belittle me, not a single one of them were curious. You know, they thought they had everything all figured out, and so they judged everything, and they judged everyone. And I realized that they're underestimating me. Who I was had nothing to do with it. Because <laughs> if they were curious, they would ask questions. You know? Questions like, have you played a lot of darts, Ted? Which I would have answered, yes, sir. Every Sunday afternoon at a sports bar with my father from age 10 to I was 16 when he passed away. Barbecue sauce. I love that clip. Are we curious, as Ted Lasso describes, about with those who are different than us? Do we listen and do we ask questions? For example, when I spent years working with uh, violent criminal gangsters in South Africa, where we lived for a number of years, uh, again, hardened criminals, I would, when I met with them, I would just ask questions. I didn't have any way to relate to these guys. I had nothing in common with this group of people. And, and no one, as I asked questions and hung out with them and spent endless hours with them in their places, no one ever felt or accused me of, you know, of affirming gangsterism or rape or violence or anything else like that. I was deeply caring for those who grew up in this lifestyle. They, they, they knew no other world than this world that they were in. And, and I met them where they were at. I asked tons of questions, questions about their dreams and their hopes and their lives. I asked questions about their interests, about the kind of foods that they like. And we shared so many barbecues together. In fact, Pastor Steve was able to join me in one of the barbecues with a bunch of these guys when he came and visited us a few years back. I learned how to cook like they cook. I learned how to play the games they play. I learned also a lot about drug dealing. Uh, that was a fascinating conversation. I often did. I learned, I learned how they targeted the homes they broke into because we lived across the street. They were our neighbors. And uh, I got a really good education on how they break into homes. In fact, uh, I, I learned that the, our neighborhood was called their ATM. That's what they called it because if they were out of, out of money and needed cash, they'd jump into my neighborhood and get cash. Um, and when I invited a bunch of them to my home for a barbecue once, one of them even said, he's like, oh, I know this place. And they began to describe all my neighbor's backyards, what was in my backyard, and everything else because they spent so much time jumping it out of these properties, stealing stuff, right? So I learned a lot by getting to know them. And there was often violence in the area that we were in because the gangsters would, for a number of reasons, they would get this huge violence. There was one main road into our street, and they would firebomb it and burn out cars and throw all these firebombs all over the place, and the whole street would shut down, the whole area would shut down. And there were many times I couldn't get home to my family. There were many times we didn't know, like, were we in danger, were they going to come like, break into our homes? And uh, it was, got pretty scary at times. And, and most of our neighbors would get so furious what was going on. What would I do in those times? I'd go sit with these guys and just listen. And ask questions, why are you so angry? What, what's going on? And I'd hear their heart. And it was amazing in this time because these guys would say is that no one ever sat down to listen to them. They don't know of anyone that would actually sit and listen. Not that I was special. I was no superpower. Literally just asking questions with curiosity to understand where are these guys coming from? Why are they in the situation that they're in? Most of these guys had never seen someone treat them as an image bearer of any degree of value or respect in any way. 
And so many of them experienced Christ's love and gave their lives to him over the years. Or in working with Muslims, when I'm sitting with Muslims and, and getting to know someone, I don't tell them, start off by telling them how wrong they are and all the ways that they're going to hell or something like that. I start off and I ask them about their culture and I ask them how they pray and I ask them how they read and I ask them, I find points of commonality and I, I learn all about their culture and how they pray and how they eat and all their celebrations and their holidays and we create deep places of connections. People love to talk about food and I learn all about their food and the different ways they prepare it. And we have incredible conversations with people that I have nothing in common with. When engaging with our neighbors or co-workers, we must seek to listen and learn and be curious. To know what their passions are and their interests and their worldview. And over time, people will start to share more personal things of relation that we can really build into, but it's got to start by genuinely caring. But nothing builds trust like asking good questions and being a good listener. People are desperate for someone to listen to them. Because very few people are very good at that. A recent study was done by Harvard where they measured brain activity when people talk about themselves. This was fascinating, I found. That when people are talking about themselves, they had all these brain scans, and they found it shoots high levels of dopamine into the brain. Now, dopamine, those who don't know, that's the chemical that controls like, the, the, brain, the, the brain's pleasure and reward system, right? And so what they found is similar levels. When people are talking about themselves to people, they found similar levels of a dopamine hit as eating like, sweet foods like candy, as doing cocaine, or even having sex was a similar level of dopamine in certain things as simply having someone ask you and talk about yourself in a conversation. Right, so the, 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 the study concluded saying, you know, it, people, when people talk about themselves, they, they said it's inherently pleasurable. <laughs> One of the greatest selling books of all time was completely based upon this idea years ago by Dale Carnegie called How to Win Friends and Influence People. One of the most best-selling books of all time, most easily manipulated book of all time, basically teaches how to manipulate people for sales and friendships. But it's all based upon this idea, people care about themselves and they want to talk about themselves. And it took me a while to really catch on to this and learn it in ministry, especially, but um, that people are desperately want to be listened to. But as a mystery who was overseas for 25 years, every two years we would come home to America. And when I'd come home, in the early times, I'd come home so filled with stories and excitement to share and with my friends and neighbors and family at church. I'd come home wanting to tell these crazy stories. I mean, again... I've shared some things before. We saw ridiculous stuff that God did with hundreds of people coming to Christ and of you know, the deaf receiving hearing and demons being cast out and all this crazy stuff. And I was ready just to unload story after story. And I'd come home and I'd share one story with somebody. How you doing? How, what it was like? I'd share a story and I'd just see them start tuning out and no interest. And so I would just like, oh, that's weird. There'd be some exceptions to it. And I was, I was just kind of confused. And, and I wanted to tell my stories because, well, we all like talking about ourselves, right? That's probably why I'm a preacher. Um, I could feel the dopamine hit happening right now. Um, <laughs> But it didn't take me long to realize that people actually don't have a long attention span. They just want to talk about themselves because they're hurting. And coming home isn't my chance to like tell the world my story of what God has done, but it's my chance to minister to love by listening. And so as I would come home, I initially even did it as a test. I would come home, they say, how was it? And I'd just say, it was great. People were like, awesome. That's all they wanted. It was great. Two years, it was great. Maybe a short story, and that was it. And then I did this test where I started this early in the years where I would then immediately turn to them and say, how are you doing? How was your time? And they would begin to talk, and I'd listen for an hour or two. And the test was how long before they asked me a follow-up question. And you know what? Almost never was there a follow-up question. People were so desperate to be listened to. By me coming back and asking questions about their life, not assuming that my experience was more important than theirs, all of a sudden I formed such deep relationships with people as they were so desperate to have someone listen to them. 
People are hurting and they're desperate to be listened to. And what an incredible window for us as Christians to be at this point, at this time, for us to speak into and reach out to people with. I recognize that many of us are hurting, and we're like, I just need someone to talk to. I need someone to listen to me. And yes, we need to find those relationships that are mutual, where we can share with one another. But as God is calling us also to step out and to bless our neighbors, we must go into those places saying, Lord, how do I sacrificially love? Laying down my interests and seeking yours, Lord, and caring for them by listening well and asking good questions. And so as Christians, we must get to know those around us who are not like us. And that means we must be curious. We must ask good questions. I love this. Um, Francis Chan was uh, an interview over 10 years ago. He did this interview at an outreach magazine, and they recorded him as saying this. Wherever you are, you need to figure out how to get into the lives of unbelievers. To me, he says, the biggest problem with evangelism is that it's gotten too impersonal. People in the church don't know how to look an unbeliever in the eye and actually love him or her and carry on a conversation with him. It's a lot harder to go out and be, to go out, be in the world and build relationships with people who don't believe like you and think like you. Most people just don't make that effort. I think overall, now this is prophetic, this is over 10 years ago, the church is going to get weaker and weaker in this area. Oh, would he have he only known? Um, and it's not because we don't love Jesus. It's not because they don't have a heart for the Lord. Hear that. It's not that we're bad. They just don't know how to engage with people who don't believe like they do. That just sums it up so beautifully there. So how do we grow in engaging with people who don't believe like we do? We love by listening and asking questions. I often see people struggling to engage with neighbors, maybe unbelieving neighbors or neighbors that come from different cultural backgrounds. It could be radically different cultures from different parts of the country or maybe from other countries, from India or China and this area. I mean, just so many people from the Indian subcontinent are, are coming in in this area. I mean, every one of our neighbors that's moved in the last year, all like 15 or so of the houses in our area, every, every single one of them has been moved in. It's been an Indian family that's moved in. And so many people struggle to relate to people that are so different than them. They say, you know, I, I don't even know what to talk about. We eat different foods. I, I, how do I relate to these people? They're, they're so different than me. But what I say in that situation is Amen. Like the fact that they're different means that there is so much more to learn. There is so much more to talk about with someone who has a radically different worldview than someone who grew up in a similar circumstance. There is, oh, but only, only if you're curious. If you're not curious, then the conversation ends immediately because you don't have a point of commonality. But if you're curious, if you're listening to the Holy Spirit, there is endless hours of conversation of learning to be had, whether the person's from a different culture, whether they're from a different country, whether they just have a radically different view on politics or, 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 or theology or anything. There are so many more things to ask of people that view the world differently than us. Endless ways to learn. Endless questions to ask, to learn and be curious and to love. Because when we're engaging with a neighbor or coworker who believes differently than us, Our goal is not simply to get them to agree with us, or should not be for that. The goal is not to get people to think like us and act like us in those ways, though oftentimes that seems to be our intention, is we want everyone to see the things the same way we see it. You know, our goal should be instead to point people to Jesus, to love them with the love of Christ that they encounter Jesus, and let him bring about the change in the life. As a lifetime missionary, this is something I experienced and encountered all the time. 
that when I would go to places, I, my job wasn't to try and change a culture or to change politics or even to get the people to stop sinning. That was not my goal. My goal was to point them to Jesus. When I was living in China, I worked, uh, I worked with a lot of people who were very heavy Communist Party members. One of my, my main teachers, my tutors that I had that I spent hours every week with, was the head of the propaganda department of the university I was studying at. This guy is as communist as they get. His job regularly, he used to tell me stories, was that when, when kids were, college kids were interested in Christianity or were curious about democracy, his job was to take them to a secluded location and basically to brainwash them. He called it re-education, but that was his job, was to take them away from everything for weeks, if not months, until they had conform back to the Communist Party. That's this dude's job. He's the leader of this thing for the whole university of tens of thousands of students. And, my, and he used to just bash America to no end, right? He used to say the most horrific things to me about my culture, about my country, and all this other stuff. You see, I arrived in China in, in about May of 1999, which is like the day after America bombed the, the Chinese embassy in Belgrade, for any that remember when that happened. You may not. It might have been a small deal for us. It was not small for China, right? Everywhere I went, I was getting finger guns of people pretending to shoot me. I had Nazi symbols written on my dorm wall, giant symbols written, America must die, USA go to hell, all this other stuff around. I couldn't get a taxi. You had to show your passport to get a taxi because no one would take an American anywhere. So I'd have to like be going with other friends. Like it was a scary time. People hated America. And I had these guys bashing me all the time. And my goal was not to defend America. My goal was not to defend my politics. I had one goal. All that mattered to me is I was not an ambassador for America. I was an ambassador for Christ. And I just kind of need to keep pointing them to Jesus. So I asked a ton of questions. I learned why he thought the way he thought. Everything else, we built relationship. Another teacher who was similar to that, who used to always try and convince me why North Korea was one of the best places to live on earth. No joke. And he used to tell me how America is the source of all the world's problems and used to bash me. And my job wasn't to correct her. My job wasn't to try and convince her of how Tiananmen Square was the worst massacre. My job wasn't to try and show all this stuff. My job was to present Jesus and to point her to Christ and to listen and ask questions. It wasn't to change their politics. It wasn't to change their worldview. It was to get them to see Jesus through how well we listened and loved and let the Holy Spirit work through that. The truth is a number of them came to Christ. One of my teachers eventually became a house church leader in her own home and led many people to Christ. But it meant I had to listen to a ton. I had to be really curious and let the Holy Spirit lead me as I discussed and learned. And it's the same approach I take here in America. Whether I'm approaching my Indian neighbor, my Chinese neighbor, my French atheist professor neighbors I talked about a couple weeks ago, my transgender neighbor, whatever, any neighbor at all, I approach with the same thing. My job is to love them the best way I can. I do that through engaging and asking questions and learning with curiosity, building relationship and knowing that as that happens, eventually the Spirit will provide the opportunity for them to be more curious as we form a deeper friendship in life. If you feel that's something you want to intentionally grow in, we actually have a sweet opportunity coming up. And uh, Alicia, if you want to come up, there's an awesome opportunity I'm going to have Alicia introduce um, that's coming up here soon that I wanted to take a minute and share about. Hi, my name is Alicia Staley. Um, and if you're wondering how you can be a better listener, um, I have you covered. Uh, so uh, recently, um, more of you probably know Kara Cecil um, and her family. They've been around since the beginning of Northview. Um, but Kara and I recently finished a training program through an organization called Stephen Ministries. Um, and this is an organization that's been around since the 70s. And they train and equip people to um, be better listeners, essentially. Um, this is us in our awkward Zoom meeting 
group picture. I wanted you all to share in that with us. Um, but yeah, so we took this class to teach, uh, it, it equipped us to be leaders. Um, and so we are now going to bring that here to you at Northview um, so that we can um, come alongside you and help uh, as many as possible are interested um, become better listeners. Um, and yeah, I was going to talk a little bit about how we're not the best listeners, and um, but James did a good job with that in the sermon. Um, but it's true, and I feel like we want we want to help, we want to get involved, but we either feel like we're not equipped and we want to avoid it, or we jump in and we get burned out. Um, so this training, um, we've decided to call it one-to-one -one, um, to personalize it and make it our own. Um, this training will teach you how to be an active listener, how to engage, um, and really, yeah, how to, how to listen like Jesus, how to engage people where they're at in their messiness and love them and help them to feel seen. Um, and yeah, our vision with this is that we can build up our congregation. Um, so we just have an abundance of people who are skilled listeners um, and can walk alongside of those of us who are suffering. Um, so nobody is alone in their suffering and everybody can feel seen. Um, and we love to have you join us. Um, the training is a significant commitment, as you can see up there. It starts in October later this year, and it's 20 sessions that'll meet weekly. Um, and we're going to meet Wednesdays here at the church, and we wanted to coordinate it with Awana if any of you have kids. Um, so childcare, if childcare would be a limiting factor, you could come drop your kids off. Um, and yeah, if you have any questions about this, you can talk to Kara or I in person. You can email us at the email up there. Um, and we do plan on having an informational meeting um, on July 9th, a brief one after church, um, where you can uh, come and ask questions, and we can give you a little bit more information about the training. So thank you. Thank you, Alicia. All right. This is incredible. I've, I've gone through the materials. Um, it's amazing. It's the best I've ever seen of, of in training people and equipping people comes from Stevens Ministries and how to deal with depression and suicide and, and pain and, and regret and how to not get stuck in toxic relationships of how to work in active listening. It's just brilliant, brilliant material. I cannot recommend it enough. If you could take a season to be able to learn to grow, that would literally change your life and your ability to be present to other people. All right, so as we finish, we are called to be blessed. We are, called, we are blessed to be a blessing. We are called to live in love like Jesus. And that means we need to be growing as our ability to listen and ask questions. On your cards, you'll find we just put together kind of like a brief sheet of some examples of questions. This is not necessarily, obviously, a sheet to just run through, but it's just for some examples. I know a lot of people struggle. How do you start the conversation? How do you get it deeper? And these kind of start simple and go deeper and more personal. There's a section on there for those that struggle to have conversation with people from different cultures than them. Of How do you, how do you reach out to your Indian neighbor or your, your Chinese neighbor? Someone who's radically different, you don't know where. And some ideas on conversation starters for there. There's also, on the bottom of it, once things go a bit deeper, some wonderful spirit spiritual conversations. These are some of the favorite questions that I ask people all the time. In fact, one of my top favorites is just asking people. This is how I did this all the time with, with gangsters in South Africa. Of Where do you want to be in five years? Just an incredible question to ask people to get to know their heart of where they're wanting to be and to begin to pursue and to build trust. All of that said, we need to be curious. We need to listen and we need to grow and allow the Holy Spirit to grow us to live and love like Jesus. Amen? So let's pray as we finish up this morning. Father, we just thank you that you showed us the way. That we are just like that blind man and you saw us. And so Lord, may you grow us in our capacity to follow your example. 
to love like you, to listen like you. May we be your hands, your feet, your ears, Lord, for a hurting world that's desperate for connection. It's desperate to know you. It's desperate to be heard. Lord, grow us in our capacity to do that. Jesus, we want to reflect you to the world. Not our ideas, not our opinions, but you and your truth and your ways. Grow us and help us do that, Lord Jesus. Amen. Oh, one last thing. One of the one of the best books I've read on this is called The Nine Arts of Spiritual Conversation. If you want to follow up to bless, I've not read anything better about growing and asking questions and growing in this way than this book here, and I would highly recommend it to anyone. But, all right, let's sing. Let's worship.